Welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series created specifically for tourism operators. Talking Tourism, the expert series, is the ultimate resource for business owners who want to lift their skills to the next level. If you want to learn how to be a better tourism operator, listen on. Welcome to Talking Tourism. My name is Rachel Williams and I'm host of today's edition of this podcast, a series brought to you by the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, which is, of course, the authority on all things tourism in Tasmania. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by the 2020 Tasmanian Australian of the Year, Dr. Jess Melbourne-Thomas. Welcome, Jess. Thank you so much. Now, your title with your role makes me feel a little bit inferior and that this might be a podcast of science for dummies, but bear with me. You're the transdisciplinary researcher and knowledge broker in the Marine Ecosystem Modelling and Risk Assessment Group at the CSIRO in Hobart. That is a very big... It's a mouthful. Mouthful. (laughs) That wouldn't fit on a business card, Jess. We need to work on that. What is it that you actually do? I'm I'm actually, to be honest, I'm I'm still figuring it out a little bit. It's a a new-ish role for me that I've kind of arrived at through a background which was much more in traditional disciplinary science, working as a marine biologist, basically, an Antarctic researcher and becoming increasingly interested in how science has impact, how we connect the research that we do to the people that need it, you know, how research connects to policy, how we can kind of turn this, the the model around so that in fact end users and stakeholders who might be industry or, or the public or decision makers can actually themselves be a part of research and help direct the way that it, it can become more meaningful. And I think that's important given that, you know, working in the area of climate change, a lot of the questions are really urgent. We don't kind of have as much time to waste or or use on, on a, the more conventional model where we go off and do science, you know, behind a closed door and then we publish a paper in a peer-reviewed journal and hope that somebody that needs it might read it one day. So that, I mean, that's kind of the space that I'm trying to work in and that's the knowledge broker part um, of the role. Well, we're going to take some of your knowledge today about Tasmania's future climate and how we can perhaps look towards becoming a carbon neutral visitor destination. But firstly, I just want to get a bit of background. I'm assuming back when you were at school, STEM wasn't deemed a, a cool subject area and you would have been treading a path less travelled. I have always been a nerd and <laughs> to be honest, not too worried about that. You know, I was very lucky to grow up kind of right in the midst of the wonderful natural environments we have in Tassie, under the water, you know, out in the in the bush and bushwalking and science was really a pretty natural pathway. I think I was lucky through school. I was actually at an all-girls public school where, you know, I think I had particular opportunities to really develop that interest in science and maths. So no, I thought, no, STEM is great and maths is very cool and I'm really glad. That, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm delighted, in fact, that my my um, elder daughter, who's four, um, thinks maths is awesome too and, and is really getting into it. So. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so before you became really heavily involved in the Antarctica side of things, you're actually involved in looking at the coral reef. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so that's two contrasting yeah, absolutely. Um, scientific studies. Yeah, different ends of the temperature scale. Yeah, so I worked for quite a few years in, in places like Indonesia and the Philippines and a bit in Mexico, looking at, um, again, the, the climate change question and, and what impacts that, you know, given that really coral, coral reefs are <laughs> mm. probably the worst hit environment so far in terms of the effects of climate change. Um, but, you know, the approaches that we use particularly in terms of modelling, but also in, you know, looking at how we can respond to those challenges and, and, and adapt to the impacts of climate change, I think are really applicable across many different marine systems from tropical reefs to the, the kelp forests that we have in Tassie and to the Antarctic. And so your role with the Antarctic program, obviously it received so much attention when you were part of the, the group that led the expedition of an all-women team for 20-odd days to Antarctica. Is that one of your career highlights still to this stage? Yeah, so that was the Homeward Bound program. I didn't actually go on the voyage. I had a um, 10-month-old baby at the time and decided that um, that was too long to be <laughs> away from but her. you were a catalyst for making it happen that's for the right. others, Yeah, that's you? right. And and in co-founding the, the program, I think, you know, Homeward Bound has really been one of kind of this wave of initiatives we're seeing around elevating the voice of um, women in science in in the leadership sphere, and particularly in relation to you know action on climate change, and and I think just you know given that amazing environment um, where where the homeward bound voyage took place, and in fact there's been four voyages since that first one, and another one planned once we're through <laughs> the pandemic. But um, you know that that's just been a really powerful image, I think, in terms of capturing people's interest and, and opening their ears to the, the story we wanted to tell through through that program. So let's talk about climate change. It obviously was such a big subject not so long ago and very much part of the election campaigns that the previous two elections federally. It does seem to have dissipated a little bit. Is that because everyone's just sort of accepted the science and are moving on with it or it's just not a buzzword at the moment. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly the, the bushfire season, I think, you know, very much got people talking and, and thinking about the impacts of climate change and what the new normal might look like for Australia as the climate continues to change. And, you know, even given the year that 2020 has been and, and the distractions we've all had being in and out of lockdown, I think, you know, there's a, a new report that's just come out from the Australia Institute that that found that um, 79% of Australians believe climate change is occurring. And I think it's 50% um, say that they're experiencing the impacts of climate change a lot. So, you know, maybe we haven't seen quite as much in the media this year because there's been so a lot, lot of other things to report on. <laughs> so what do you as a, a young a woman with young children, science background, what do you say to the, the deniers that are still out there if they were to come up to you and say, oh, Jess, you're just making this up. <laughs> uh, you know, having I, I've worked on one of the um, recent reports from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and you know the evidence now that the climate is changing, and then that's due to um, human activity is is overwhelming now. You know, it's surprising. I, I don't have that many conversations with deniers. I think, um, you know, potentially that's because of the audiences that I tend to talk to, but I think also possibly that, you know, there are a few loud voices 
still, but but in fact, the majority of people do understand that that there's a problem, um, that it's an urgent problem, and that there are things we need to do about it. And that most of the questions are actually more about, well, what can we do? And so that's what I've been trying to talk about recently. So let's let's talk about that then, Jess. And I also would like to to point out as well that you are a Rhodes Scholar, so you are somewhat of an authority on what you're talking about. Um, what is Tasmania's future climate going to look like in in your from your perspective? Obviously, COVID has given everyone a little bit of a chance to reset and given the environment a chance to reset with the lack of travel that's been going on internationally. Where is it going to sit from your perspective? My main area of expertise is in understanding the impacts in the marine environment. And in fact, in terms of what we've seen to date, in terms of the impacts of climate change, they have been particularly pronounced um, in the waters around Tasmania. We're a hot spot for so-called heat waves, extreme temperature events. And some of the recent marine heat waves we've seen have had really significant impacts for, you know, f- for industry more generally. So, so we are um, already seeing those effects of what's changing in the marine environment. More generally, you know, we're set to see more extreme hot weather, sea level rise and coastal inundation, definitely changes in fire regimes and more intense frequent fire events, less frost. So, you know, a whole range of different changes that we can expect to see in the environment, in fact, are already seeing. And so one of the big questions as well as, well, you know, what do we do in terms of emissions reduction to try to act quickly to minimise the degree of change we see in the future is how can we adapt to what's already happening? You know, what actions are we going to need to take um, across industry, environmental management, even just you know, at the community level to be prepared for what's coming in the next few decades. Obviously, the pandemic gives us an opportunity to to rebuild the tourism industry in a way that reflects those concerns and those, those forecasts. I think so, yeah. I think, you know, very clearly the tourism industry has been very hard hit by the pandemic and there is a lot of work, as far as I understand, to do to rebuild. But, you know, I have been in some of the conversations I've had this year more generally trying to talk about the pandemic as, you know, maybe an opportunity to hit the reset button on things and to think about taking a different pathway or trajectory for a whole bunch of key issues in society and and for the environment. And, you know, for me, given the urgency of the climate change problem for Tasmania, given our ability to kind of do things the way we want to and do things differently and have global leadership, I guess, in, in the way that we think about sustainable ways forward, I, th- I, you know, I think that now is an important opportunity to consider as part of that rebuilding that tourism is is carbon neutral or even we talk about carbon positive. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so let's, let's um, dumb it down for me over here. Carbon <laughs> neutral, how can the average business owner in the tourism industry become carbon neutral and, and what are some basic things they can do to assist with that? Yeah, I, and I'm, I should preface that I'm possibly not the, the best person to answer that question because I'm, you know, I understand more on the, the science side than the, the industry response side. But I think, you know, there are lots of great options in terms of offsets um, and opportunities. And Rob Pennicott talked just a bit earlier about um, examples of, of doing that locally and even, you know, um, redirecting those offsets into 
um, research activities that might relate, for instance, to reseeding of our giant kelp forests, um, which have been already quite devastated by the effects of climate change. So there's lots of things there. I think, you know, having a broader framing around sustainability is important. So carbon neutral, absolutely, you know, huge tick if, if there's a pathway to do that. But, you know, there's lots, lots of other actions to take around minimising pollution impacts um, as well. And, and, you know, more generally how we think about the footprint of of tourism on our environments, which I think Tassie does very well anyway. I'm assuming that they don't always have to be expensive solutions. I think that's absolutely right, yeah, and that also, as I understand, there are different models for who, who pays for offsets, right, so it doesn't necessarily all have to be borne by the consumer or by the industry or, or even by government. There, there are models where it can be a mix of those things so that, that it is actually, you know, a viable pathway for everybody. So you said a minute ago about that you're good with the science side of things, obviously, but how do we actually bridge that gap between the science and then the end result of the policy that's development at government level and then in between is the user or the the tourism operator who actually has to meet in the middle mm. and, and do what everyone's mm. telling them to do. Yeah, no, that's a really great question. And I guess the simple am- answer is effective partnerships, right? But it, it, it's going to have to be iterative. <laughs> and because it's new, I think there's only three other places in the world that have done this as tourism destinations so far. You know, there will be a degree of, of learning and equally an opportunity to set the example. So, you know, I think it, any significant action that we, we take around um, responding to, to climate change, we will need to do in an adaptive way and it, make adjustments as we learn about what works and what doesn't work as well. But um, that's not a reason for not giving it a shot. <laughs> no, absolutely. Got to try. So yeah. where are the other three destinations that you speak of? So this is... Um, research that that Mel had done for the panel event. I think it was in Europe, Montenegro, New Zealand and Costa Rica, actually interesting, who have been since, I think she said, 1996. And and with Mel, we're talking about we're at the Tourism Industry Council Sorry. Tasmania's <laughs> no, you're right at their um their Tourism Industry Conference, and we're just having a, a podcast chat in between sessions. So obviously, three other locations around the world have, have tried and uh, attempting to become carbon neutral. Tasmania, it's going to depend on the take up of the community to get involved. How passionate do you think people will be in Tasmania to to get on board that? Yeah, great. That's a great question. I think there's kind of probably two elements to that one from the operator side and one from the consumer side. And again, this is um, this is my perspective, but I think from what I've heard said, there is potential for tourism operators in Tasmania to bring a lot of passion to the way that they address this problem and, you know, to, to what, you know, they're able to offer in terms of being operating in a sustainable way and, and contributing to the brand that we have in Tasmania. From the consumer side, um, again, my, my, perception is that there is really an increased appetite, I think particularly after this year for people to see great examples of positive change happening for the environment and for you know, for things that, that they they can do themselves, choices that they can make that are more in line with, with moving forward sustainably. And so I think that combination of an offering that is brought with passion and, and meaning and dedication and, you know, and great intentions coupled with people looking online for examples of that could be a really powerful combination, particularly in terms of the Tasmanian brand. And the old saying that success breeds success and, and what have you, it doesn't take long, does it, for 
the ball to start rolling and, and people to get on board? I think so, absolutely. Yeah. And, it, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to see this across Australia if Tasmania was able to lead the way? So I, I think that'd be wonderful if we could see yeah. that happening. And so I'm just interested with that marine side of things, with the kelp forest you speak of, it probably doesn't get a lot of or as much attention as you'd ideally like it to. Yeah, I think people, you know, there has been a bit in the media because it's just so striking, right? These magnificent giant kelp forests contrasted with, you know, when that when they're gone, you you just have a, these large swathes of barren, unproductive habitat, and it it is a little bit of a complex story around why climate change is the driver of that effect. But I do think in Tasmania, people are pretty engaged with the marine environment, both in terms of, you know, the people that live here, but also the people that visit. And, you know, this year we've had all the wonderful news around so many humpback whales being sighted. And and I think people do want to get into and experience that unique marine environment. And so in lots of, you know, I use I use the kelp forest story a lot, actually, in the way that I talk about climate change, partly because it was those experiences that led me really to where I am. They were so magical that how would I not want to be a marine scientist? And that it is, you know, it really does sadden me that, that probably my kids will never have those experiences. And so it is, it's a powerful demonstration, right, of what we've already lost, but, you know, what we can stand to gain by acting quickly. And once it's gone, it's gone. There's some really actually some fantastic research that's coming out of particularly the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies look at looking at restoring kelp forests. So there are some options um, t- to consider ways to minimise um, the effects that lead to the, the kelp disappearing, but also to reseed effectively and possibly to breed kind of resistant, um, more resistant strains of kelp. So there, there are some technological, potential technological solutions to, to see kelp forests again. And from the perspective of the, the tourists, do you think we perhaps just are unaware that our actions have consequences in those sorts of areas, whether it be the coral reef, whether it be the kelp forest, what have you, the, the general waterway? Are we Have we sort of become a little bit blase about, you know, our impact on the world? Yeah, possibly, I think. And I think Antarctica, you know, is a, is another case in point there. It's so, it's so remote and isolated and, you know, relatively unimpacted by humans. How could we possibly be having an effect there? But in fact, you know, there are regions of Antarctica that are amongst the fastest changing in the world and we're already detecting plastic pollution in Antarctica. So, you know, I think if we can frame those examples in a way where it's not it's not all doom and gloom because it is, it is you know, there's a fine line there in talking about the effects that we have on the environment that it's all, it's all just a bit depressing and upsetting, <laughs> but more just to indicate what the scale is and what's at stake and then to back that up with opportunity to take action to, to make things better really. And I suppose we're all getting better at reacting to this, this problem? I think so. I think gradually, you know, I, there is, I still hear a lot of questions about, you know, oh yes, climate change, well what can we do? You know, we feel kind of helpless really, mm. you know, particularly from the public and I think that is understandable because it's a problem that's just so vast and global in scale and it's very difficult to understand how individual actions can make a difference. But I think examples like tourism in Tasmania being carbon neutral are a really concrete way of people being able to make choices that they know have positive implications. So it'd be great to, to see 
more of those options emerging for people. Yeah, and with your role in that um, intergovernmental panel, was there a, a time frame that you'd like to see this um, carbon neutral visitor destination play out? So I think the the discussion is around um, carbon neutral by 2030. Like, you know, obviously it is a fairly complicated thing to implement. Um, generally, from my, you know, reading, it is where there are organisations planning to go carbon neutral. It's kind of on the 2025 to 2030 time scale. An interesting question is, you know, do you commit to a date and then figure out how to get there or do you figure out the pathway and then and then say, okay, well, this date... Is When's the, it achievable? Yeah, and the, it's a bit circular because if you pick a date that's soon and then you you've find a way to get there, right, because you've committed to the date. So that's an. I think that's an interesting different discussion. But, yeah, I mean, the sooner the better, right? These are really urgent problems. We actually really don't have <laughs> any do time you, to lose. Do you think that will require... The, the user slash the tourism operator to lead from the front or do you think there needs to be a, a firm policy that sets some sort of pathway and date in place and that it's then legislated that how we go about getting there? What do you think is the best way of actually achieving that? Yeah, I'd, I'd be a little bit hesitant to make a call on that because I'm, I'm not sure I'm sufficiently familiar with the mechanisms that are needed. But I think probably generally some combination of those two is is going to be effective, yeah. Wonderful. So, Dr Jess Melbourne-Thomas, what's uh, the future for you? Obviously, an amazing year being our representative as the Australian of the Year. No doubt you made some great contacts and learnt a lot through that process. Yeah, I've been very fortunate. Also, you know, really excited at the announcement of um, next year's Tasmanian Australian of the Year, who is just going to be um, a wonderful spokesperson for the state and has some hugely important um, messages to to spread. So that's really wonderful that that's just recently happened. Grace Tame was announced as the new 2021 Tasmanian Australian of the Year. It is amazing. She will do an amazing job representing Tasmania, no doubt. And uh, for you personally, though, Jess, what is, what's on the agenda for you? Ah, well, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm just looking, really looking forward to what happens next in, in my role, you know, trying to work at this interface as a, as a knowledge broker. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I guess I'll kind of Keep taking the opportunities as they come. And still working out how to get that title onto a small business card, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Jess. That was Dr Jess Melbourne-Thomas, the 2020 Tasmanian Australian of the Year and a transdisciplinary researcher and knowledge broker at the CSIRO in Hobart. I'm Rachel Williams. Thank you very much for listening to today's edition of Talking Tourism. Make sure you catch up on all the editions of the podcast series on the Tourism Industry Council of Tasmania website or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Bye for now. You've been listening to Talking Tourism, brought to you by Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. For show notes, other materials and episodes, head to tict.com.au. Be sure to come back every fortnight for a new instalment of Talking Tourism.